I'm Tefer Ajemian. And I'm Caddy Diop. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! yeah. everyone yeah hi how you doing i'm uh, i'm doing well considering how are you doing uh pretty much likewise the weather is gorgeous spring is spring is springing yeah i really hope it's springing for good here in montreal you never know but we uh we potted a bunch of our seedlings out today that's wonderful so this week we are continuing well we're actually wrapping up our sequels month with Deathless Divide by Justina Ireland. This has been, I think, my most anticipated book of the year. And I have just been really on the edge of my seat for this one. Um, I loved Dread Nation, which is the first book of this uh, duo. I interviewed Justina Ireland um, before this book came out, but not too long before the book came out. And she implied heavily that uh, there is not going to be another book. And I don't know, I don't know that I'm okay with that fact. Um, (laughs) I really, I really enjoyed this. Um, I want this to be a movie. I want this to be a Netflix series. I want this, I I love, I love this series. It's good. Um, I did not review Dread Nation with uh, you and Bailey when you did it originally, but uh, I got to read it before uh, getting into Deathless Divide. And I am here for it. Um, yeah, I, we're at the point where even my partner and I have decided we might do a read along uh, of them this summer together. Because uh, it's fun. These books, um, yeah, like you said, like we, we, Bailey and I reviewed Dread Nation last year, about a year ago. Uh, these books gave me something I did not know I needed. Um, I will say, in general, kick-ass historical fiction with a twist is one of my absolute favorite genres. I've talked a lot about Libba Bray's uh, Great and Terrible Beauty series, which I love a lot. Um, But this one just has such a twist. It does. And... I mean, I think we can we can sell it because uh, you mentioned it in the Dread Nation, uh, the Dread Nation episode. Um, There are zombies in this. We got zombies. I do not usually like zombie lore. It's not one of my lore. Um, It's so good. It's so fun. And I mean, like, I remember when Pride, Prejudice and Zombies uh, came out, like, I don't know, it must have been like 2001, 2002. And I remember like kind of being like distraught when I had seen that they were taking historical fiction and turning it into turning it into like a thriller, a sci-fi zombie thriller. Um, And I will admit that I turned my nose up at it. Um, And this is making me reconsider. (laughs) I like this. I have to confess I haven't seen Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and that does largely come not so much from a how can you put zombies in historical fiction, but from me being a real Austin purist. Mm. I, I don't like the 7,000 retellings of Pride and Prejudice because I think the first one was just fine. Um, And I'm just a curmudgeon about that. But I will. 
Like mm. I'm going to. Mm-hmm. Because I watched Death Comes to Pemberley and I loved it. Mm. Um, Fair. Fair. <laughs> so, so I had to eat my words a little bit. Um, <laughs> but there's just... Okay. There's so many things I love about Dread Nation and Deathless Divide. Let's go um, through them. <laughs> I love the universe. It's it's so well thought out. And I mean, Justina Ireland is is not a novice to writing fantasy. She writes uh, Star War books. Star War books. Um, Star Wars books. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and has has written other fantasy. Um, and I mean, her just her skill really shines through. This universe is so well thought out. The other thing that I love about it is that it is not set at the breakout of the zombie pandemic. It's really kind of set at the death rattle of the zombie pandemic. Yeah. Pandemic. Do we use? I just, I'm just using pandemic because it's in my brain. <laughs> um, but I kind of like it. And especially now I've been enjoying reading a book where it's like, this is just kind of how things have been for yes. like a long time at Absolutely. this point. Yes. Um, and I think especially like right now at a point of like, okay, so like we don't know how much the world is changing currently, but the world is definitely changing currently. Um, and it's just kind of interesting to think about how normal shifts Mm-hmm. And how roles shift and how economy shifts and how politics shift. And I think the thesis that Bailey and I came to at the end of Dread Nation is that what's so great about it is that it is a zombie book where the bad guys are people with power, not zombies. Um, and that's really nice. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think there, yeah, there's something really cool about like, constantly wondering who's who's good who's not good yeah right and And that's just constantly changing in this landscape too absolutely and I have a feeling that if I reread this book I'd probably find it in a different like I'd probably side differently and I don't know it would be different it would just be a different read like I think that this is a book that can be read again and again Um, and it's really fun great characters great relationships the weaving in like and I think it all comes down to I think what you, what you said right before it's Justina Ireland uh, is a is a master weaver of tales and I think that that's super cool because um, it's weaving in the story of the characters but also like the historical aspect of it right it stays kind of like I, I did a, a little bit of Googling because obviously I know nothing about American history. Um, but it was interesting to kind of go like, oh, there's like some deep research was put into this and this was taken seriously. You know, like I, I felt thought about as a reader um, by the author. And I, I really, really appreciated that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the really important things when you're writing historical fiction even when it's altered historical fiction as this is um for me especially because I I actually really love this period of American history and have researched it um the antebellum period or the not antebellum clearly I've researched this and I'm knowledgeable on it um but I like the civil war period I like sort of reading about early America revolutionary to civil war Mm -hmm. and uh for me the thing I like best about history is clothes. 
I study fashion history quite a lot. Um, it's one of my hobbies. Well, I also work as a theater costumer, so it's it's um, kind of both of these things. Um, and Justina Ireland pays so much attention to the clothes in this. And like, I think I've talked about my little my little chip on my shoulder about the ways people write about corsets. Mm. Um, <laughs> people write about people write about and talk about corsets when they have just not a clue about corsets and don't know anything about corsets. That's and- interesting. <laughs> no, no, say more on this. I'm I'm actually really interested. Because I know nothing about corsets, so I'm thinking about how I would write about them, and I'm wondering if it would fit in with what you're thinking. One of the things that I like in this is that we have two characters who feel differently about corsets. Yes. We have Jane, who hates them and thinks they're stupid, and Catherine, who really values them. And, um, you know, because the first book is all through um, Jane's eyes, we mm-hmm. see them as like, oh, that's so dumb and silly. And then we get to actually see Catherine in this one. Yes. Explaining why she likes them. Corsets have been a part of, like, human fashion history way, 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 way far back. Like, at least back to the Middle Ages in European history anyway. Just because people who have boobs often need some support for their boobs. And so they've changed throughout the years depending on the fashion, depending on the materials. You have in the, like, Jane Austen period um, what's called short stays, which were basically like a bra, uh, more or less, like a little cropped kind of corset thing that just holds your boobs up and just sits there, but is, like, better designed than modern bras. Um, And then, like, the one period of corsetry that everybody thinks of when they hear corset was, like, this short-lived little window of time in the Victorian era when we started being able to manufacture steel boning in corsets to replace what was used before, which would have been whale baleen or... Uh, just cording, like actually like sewing cords into the fabric. Okay, Teffer knows, Teffer knows her things, Teffer knows her things. Which provided still support, but not the same level of, um, of waist shaping. Hmm. So that like aggressive hourglass, tiny, tiny, tiny waist thing was a fad essentially in the Victorian era because they developed steel bones and corsets and were like, well, we can do this, so we should, which is something we see throughout fashion history. I mean, I understand why that's the iconic era of corsetry because it's the most dramatic era of corsetry. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like saying all bras are dumb and useless because of the aggressive push-up bras of the like 90s and early aughts. It's just not fair (laughs) to a garment that has served people throughout the centuries and honestly, like, still exists. Like, we still we still use the principles of corsetry in foundation garments. So anyway, my point being, it's like you don't want to wear a sports bra all the time. Right. But you do want to wear a sports bra when you're going to be doing some kind of high impact movement. Yes. And like your titties are sore. Fair. (laughs) Uh, wow. Okay. So this has been a podcast about corsetry. No, it's super interesting because look, I mean, the details and the, the, I love, I love what you're saying because it is really interesting and, and we don't think about the history of where our clothes come from often enough, or at least I know I don't. Um, so I find it really interesting to, to see that the detail of, you know, the historical period and the accuracy is on point and that just, 
to me, that just speaks once again to uh, the detailed writing of Justina Ireland. I think that's, that's just it. It's just like taking the time to actually make sure that the corset talk is the right corset talk and not the, not the wrong one. Um, we didn't mention earlier, but a good portion of this book takes part in uh, the Old West. Um, so there's, there's a bit of a journey through this and the descriptions of the Old West. Like, I mean, I thought that was really fun. I grew up in a family with like a dad who loved spaghetti westerns and who imposed mm. them sometimes with an iron th- an iron fist on family movie nights and you know and I I was very satisfied um by the descriptions of uh the 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 spaces but also by the behaviors of the characters and and all that and it was fun to start imagining like okay how do you include uh how do you include zombies in that and then all of a sudden you're like oh this actually works pretty seamlessly. Um, and I find that, I find, I, I, yeah, uh, big fan, big fan. It really does work seamlessly. And I love it especially because I think we think of zombies very much in a modern uh, context. Yes. We don't really think of zombies historically, right? And they do just work. Yes. Um, I forgot to make a point when I went off on a tangent about corsets because, like, oh boy, I love talking about corsets. You forgot to say how people ta- how people who have never worn corsets uh, we- uh, talk about corsets versus people who have a corset <laughs> experience. Um, I that wasn't exactly the point I was going to make. I will say there are some excellent threads around where historians talk about romance novels and how people talk about like he tore her corset off and you're just like no (laughs) no no he didn't um but the point I was gonna make is that the clothes in these books um are different from the clothes that were worn in this historical period in real United States and they're different because Ireland has thought about it and adapted the fashions of the time to the needs of of her universe Mm. and that attention to detail is spectacular Mm -hmm. they have people wear shorter skirts because they have to run and so they have coordinated bloomers that go under their skirts and the corsets have been replaced with lighter corsets that provide support but maybe do more of a job that like a modern bra would do um she's really really thought about it and that's so exciting so she's not saying, well, people wore these heavy, heavy skirts and petticoats at the time, and they also have to fight zombies. So I'm going to talk about a, a lot about how frustrating it is to fight zombies in these heavy petticoats. She's going, no, they've been fighting zombies for 50 years. They're not going to be wearing these skirts. They're going to have adapted. And that is just, it's, it's like, you know, they don't have horses. So they developed cars earlier, yeah. but they call them ponies. It's beautiful. The attention to detail is just spectacular. And it makes it such a delight to read. That's true. And we do get a taste of, of the fashion a little bit in uh, on the cover, right? Uh, oh, the, yeah. I love this cover. Uh, let's talk about cover art. We've been, we've, been, we've been fangirling over cover art recently, but um, or fan personing, rather. Um, and Deathless Divide, the cover is um, two non-white women. Uh, n- like I mean, it's 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 Catherine and Jane. Let's be honest. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's Catherine and Jane. There, um, dressed and one's wearing a suit and one's wearing a dress and uh, there's blood splatter and it's badass and and it's lovely seeing these women of color with like their hair in full like just 
braids and it's like just full-on badassery I guess and when you talk about costumes being adapted you know rarely do we see women in suits uh when in those periods right otherwise they're they're very um rebellious or very uh, hyper masculine like we're, we're we're looking at characters that are a bit more butch um in in our household we've been uh, talking a lot about gentleman jack recently um so that type of character um but it's it also remains incredibly feminine uh, through like the light colors, but also like just these beautiful, beautiful faces. Um, I have to, I have to, like, I can't stress this enough. There is something about, um, you know, characters being beautiful, but also deadly that I love. Um, I love femme fatales. I love, uh, I love them in, in, you know, in books, but I also love them in person. Um, there's something really charismatic and magnetic about this kind of character, um, especially when you haven't had enough, I guess. I think it's just like fulfilling a need uh, that was never fulfilled before <laughs> in books that I get to, you know, I get to experience uh, every week when we read different novels for this podcast. Yeah, it's it's the cover art absolutely conveys both characters' strength, the differences in their strength, um, and, like, one of the things that this book, that both of the books engage with, um, is sort of (laughs) the the power of feminine wiles, Mm. or, like, like, using what power your position affords you and really just being unashamed about using that and it's something that Catherine's very uncomfortable with and Jane is always just like we'll use whatever's at your disposal Um, and what I loved about this book as a sequel specifically is that we get to hear Catherine's side of things and we get to learn so much more about her and by learning more about her and seeing Jane through her eyes we learn more about Jane um and that's really special. Agreed. Um, Tefer, did you feel queer baited a bit in this story? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. But I also, well, no, Jane was, so Jane was established as bi in mm-hmm. Dread Nation. Catherine is established as asexual in Dread yes. Nation. I know, but. Nonetheless, like if 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 we were Bailey and writing fanfic, little rib to Bailey, <laughs> um, like I think that my like queer 16, 15, 16 year old caddy would have written fan fiction about like Catherine and Jane going out and like taking care of one another and uh, despite the asexuality, finding immense pleasure in other practices. Uh, there's like the, the chemistry between these characters. I mean, they start off as, a, as mortal enemies, right? They're each other's nemesis in, the, in, in Dread Nation. So, and love and love and hate are so close. <laughs> so very mm-hmm. close. Um, there's a very fine line between those two. And um, there is something like, I mean, I love the friendship that they have and the growing friendship that they develop. Uh, I think that's really important to mention. Um, however, I kind of, I kind of wish that I kind of wish I kind of shipped them there. I said it. I shipped them. 
I ship them. The only reason that I hesitated when you asked me if I felt queer baited was that I, I this is a big spoiler. Um, I think because it is queer baity as fuck. And it is, it does feel very much to me like a will they or won't they through the whole series. Mm -hmm. And it is disappointing when they don't. I really, I really expected it. Uh, I really expected there to be a blossoming relationship between them. I mean, like at the same time, I am like, well, just because like they could be doesn't mean they have to be. But like that would be more subversive if it was like a girl and a guy. Um... Fair. I will say I feel very seen by Jane's particular relationship style. Ooh, tell me more. Of just crushing on absolutely everybody. <laughs> um, like I really so okay, I love Jane's character. Here are all the reasons I love Jane's character. Jane is wounded, flawed, badass, loving, um, hurtful, like just 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 so complex and incredible and um both bad and good and dark and light she loves fashion she really cares about clothes uh she also really cares about um killing zombies um she's she has crushes on everybody all the time but she also has this one lasting crush on this one guy who just breaks her heart over and over and over again yes which is something i can relate to um and she's just kind of a mess, but she's a really glorious mess who, like, gets a lot done. And I like that a lot about her. And I also like Catherine, like, noticing that about her. I really appreciated having Catherine point these things out. I think it was a wonderful, wonderful move uh, for Justine Ireland to start writing alternately in their voices. Yes, agreed. Really fleshed things out. I really appreciate how they are different from each other there and they're both just such well-developed characters they're not tropes and I really appreciate that like Jane who is kind of a mess is the romantic one and Catherine who is very prim and very beautiful is the one who's just not interested because like that that really is how it is sometimes you know absolutely I like that and like Catherine Catherine doesn't have to be sexually available to somehow justify being gorgeous and put together absolutely and that's really refreshing so are you more of a jane or more of a Catherine? i'm more of a jane same yeah hard hard hardcore more of a jane same i think it's it's also um if 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 we're being honest the the trust issues <laughs> oh yes <laughs> Catherine is so She's so willing, right? She's willing to open up and she's, she's, you know, she's, she's okay trying new things and she's getting over their changing relationship from nemesis to, 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 to colleagues, to friends and, you know, one day to lovers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's coming. It's coming. Listen, it's amazing. Um, Yeah, I really like that. I think it's, I think it's really great. It's. Also, there's something really cool about, like, women of color seeking out revenge. Uh, we don't get that a lot uh, in books. And, and I have to say, like, I mean, obviously, uh, this will come as no surprise. Uh, Justine Ireland is a champion of representation. Uh, it's real cool. Um, I also really particularly liked that as the characters head west, we, you know, we encounter more of the reality of marginalized folks uh, and 
there's no mincing of words about the poor treatment that they receive. And I think that that's made very clear. And it's not a cut and dry like, oh, here, we're just going to save all the indigenous folks and all the uh, particularly Chinese folks as well, who who were very poorly treated in the US uh, and yeah. still are, even though they are a model minority. Um, so yeah, I think that that, that that's really cool. And I don't know how many times in my life, and I'm a pretty big like sci-fi action fantasy thriller freak, um, but we don't get to see ourselves in those kind of stories. And I think that there is something very exciting to get to see, uh, to get to, to discover characters who you can literally identify with physically you know, in, in, in talking about their skin tone and talking about the discrimination that they fa- that they face and talking about these realities that are that are tough and that are real and that are valid um, and having them in this completely wild book with zombies and lots of killing. Uh, you know, black women don't get to kill a lot in uh, stories like this. And it's kind of nice to get the anger out without being pegged as a, an angry black woman. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. I would say from a historical standpoint, too, it's really refreshing to see that kind of representation because so often when we look at the early period of American history, we only see the stories of the white people and other people are just kind of props in the story. Yeah. Even if it's told from a, like, this thing white people did was bad, it's still kind of, it's still the story of the white people. Yes. Um, and especially with this being in the Wild West, like like something there's been a lot more scholarship about recently is pointing out that the early cowboys were, like a lot of them were black. Uh-huh. And the cowboy myth is, you know, John Wayne. Um, so, and especially with like, like there being representation of the Chinese people who were working on the West Coast to build the railroads and... Um, the Trail of Tears is represented in a in a kind of different skin um, that works with the universe. Um, it's just really nice to see because, again, there's more historical fiction that is a more accurate representation of what the world was actually like, but there's not a lot, um, and and that is nice to see. Yep, and important to see. Absolutely, and we want more of this. Like I think, like the the. I'm not an expert in Afrofuturism, uh, though maybe one day I will become one. Um, but, you know, there's something incredible about being able to project yourself in these alternate realities, in these dystopian futures, because it means that you are not that first wave of everything being murdered uh, savagely, yeah. right? Um, and I think that that's, that's really important. And I really hope that uh, we continue to see this kind of uh, this kind of representation uh, in, in, in YA, but in all writing, let's be honest, <laughs> I want it everywhere. Yes, 100%. Um, and I want this to be, I want this to be done as like a, a Netflix miniseries. Absolutely. In the style of Godless done well but like in the in the style of godless i was i was initiated to this series a big strong recommendation for anyone who enjoys justine ireland i think this is it's it's a western uh with a bunch of there's an incredible scene where women defend an entire west western town 
from uh, the outside invader, which are men. Um, and it's just watching a bunch of women shoot. And I was like, I, I've never seen this before. I have never seen women in a position of power like this and state like, you know, staking a claim in their own home and in their right to exist and to not be victims. Um, and I find that really, really cool. And I cannot imagine uh, producers not fighting for the rights to turn this into a series. Um, a series or movies or I don't I, I, I just want to see it. Absolutely. It's, it's so visual. It's so visually <sighs> strong. Yes. Who are we casting in this? Oh, God, everybody. <laughs> um, I don't I don't have clear casting ideas for this one. I mm. think because the characters live in my brain like very much as themselves um, because it's so visual. Do you have? Listen. OK, so here's how I sort of pictured it while I was reading it. All right. OK, we're doing it. Catherine. Mm -hmm. Our heroine, uh, who is awesome, um, uh, Solange Knowles. Okay. One Beyonce's little sister. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or a young Solange Knowles. I think uh, uh, maybe having seen her evolve as an artist, but like, I think that would be a great representation. Um, and um, for, for Jane, um, I would like to see... Lena Waithe play Jane because <laughs> I think she would be so hot like painfully yeah. hot my hands are over my eyes and I think I'm probably blushing several shades um I think she would be so 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 hot as Jane okay but I know they're gonna cast them younger and that's fine and I don't know all the young p cool people um but uh I still pictured them as uh, Solange Knowles and Lena Waith in my head. <laughs> I feel like for Jane, the closest I have come is um, Coco from Dear White People. Heck yes. Um, Antoinette Robin Robertson. And I didn't get it at first because her character in Dear White People is very femme. Um, yes. But I definitely can see her as Jane. Mm. There, there's something about her, her delivery, her ferocity. Mm. Um, that I think would work very well for her. Oh, I had forgotten about the cast of Dear White People. Yes. 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 I, I think that they should do, oh, a Dear, okay. So a Dread Nation and Dear White People explosion. Like if they did like a Dear White People episode about Deathless Divide or just Dread Nation, a, a like themed party. Right? They're always looking for the newer, funner, blacker thing to do. So why not? That would be a super fun way of uh, combining the fandoms. I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm honestly now going, yeah, and then like Logan Browning can be Catherine. Heck yes. And then, like, I feel like we could just, we could just like, like transfer this cast, really. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm, <laughs> I'm okay with that. Um, um, I, I really enjoy the journey west. Uh, in this mm -hmm. uh, in this book and it made me sort of think about like these life-changing journeys that we take um, and travel and stuff like that and it it 
I've never been able to like, you know, people have this like weird fake nostalgia for like uh, for for the Wild West and things like that, which I don't necessarily have. Um, But do you have any nostalgia for any particular like place and time? I know you love this uh, Civil War period in the U.S., but I was just curious. I I mean, I'm more I'm actually more of a Revolutionary War era buff uh, than Civil War, but Mm. it's okay. Um, Sorry, it's not that I can't tell the difference, but let's be honest. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I just want to be clear. I don't want to misrepresent my knowledge. (laughs) Fair. Uh, I actually have family in Sacramento and have spent time in Sacramento and... uh, Sorry, maybe I'm misunderstanding what your question was, but I've spent the Sacramento has a whole old Sacramento with like mm-hmm. the wooden sidewalks and the general stores. It's very kitschy. Uh, it's on the waterfront. It's nice. The water is not the ocean. Sacramento is inland. Um, but uh, it it's fun to see Sacramento represented. Um, because I, I, I feel like, like when people think about California, they don't think about Sacramento because like, you know, it's not great. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is old and has a big, pretty state house and orange trees you're not allowed to eat off of. Yeah. Because people don't like homeless people. And, uh, and this whole like remodeled old downtown Sacramento where you can buy gemstones and copper jewelry and fake dream captures. That's fun. And that means that when they start talking about Sacramento in this book, I had like a pretty clear picture of what the area looks like. Um, I have not spent time in Kansas. I think I drove through Kansas as a kid. Uh, but that that was fun to sort of have that like uh, mental touch point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I do feel like I misunderstood your, qu- <laughs> your question. <laughs> no, you did. Uh, what, like, it, it's just a, like, you know, like, sometimes we feel this, like, this, this thirst, this love, this uncanny connection to a place and time uh, mm. that just kind of resonates with us. And sometimes we don't know. I like to believe that maybe it's because of a past life or something. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I feel that way about... Uh, like Yukon and Northwest Territories, early 20th century. Um, there's something uh, really intriguing. I think it's also like, it's about discovering, but it's also about like, uh, perhaps from an anti-colonial point of view, um, just this discovery of new cultures, of new space, of a new way to live, um, and just the vastness of the, of the, the, the space. Um, Mm -hmm. And the wildlife and all that. And uh, I mean, those are places that, you know, while there are a couple of cities per territory, uh, remain quite rural. And I think I've always felt an interest, like a bit of a kinship uh, over there. And otherwise, I have a very strong, uh, weird rooting in Ireland that I never understood because uh, my people are from Africa. Um, but, uh, and when I went there, I was very fortunate to be able to go. It smelled like home. Mm. There was something, yeah, there's something very strange about Ireland smelling like home. And I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what's happening, but I like it. Uh, and I want to go back. If we're talking about just like eerie connections to a place you've never been, 
mm-hmm. and going somewhere and being like, oh, yes. Uh, I felt that way about Nova Scotia. The first mm. time I went to Nova Scotia, I was just like there. And I'm still like I have tried to move to Nova Scotia in the past. And every time my plans have been somewhat thwarted. But like I love it. Yeah. I love Halifax. I love Cape Breton. I I go there and it's just like it feels right. And I don't know if it's because it's the closest thing to New England in Canada. And I miss New England so much. Um, because it is really similar because uh, it was settled around the same time. And also Boston sent all their black people there when they weren't allowed to have slaves anymore. Yes. This I've and heard there about. there is a neighborhood called Africville still in Halifax, which is fun. So maybe the racism just feels homey to me. <laughs> being that I am from the United States. Um, it's a different, it's a more overt racism than we have in the rest of Canada, you know? Yes. Um, oh, yes. You should hear The rest there's... of Canada, we're like, well, we don't have ghettos. No, that's true. But the rest of Canada also has, like, we have a lovely history of, there are many um, N-word places in Canada. Um, Little known fact, if you are American and feel like Canadians keep putting it uh, in your face that we're so kind and we're not as racist, uh, I call shenanigans. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was talking, I was talking with my best friend who is still in the States, and I was like, I'm like very glad I live in Canada right now um, because there are social protections. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much all we have going for us. <laughs> it's like it's it's you know, it's not a small thing. It's a significant thing. But Heck like yeah. it's like, no, 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 no. Like there's there, in Canada, there's still going to be lots of racism and discrimination. You're just also going to be OK if you if you break your leg or if the world economy melts in a pandemic. Are, are you um, feeling some stress, Steffer? Do you want to... No. <laughs> Do you need to check in? <laughs> Actually, uh, like, yes, because I, I was fairly far along in a in a job process and I'm frustrated about things getting put on hold at this point but uh uh actually with the social protections that have been rolled out I think we'll be in like a better situation than we've been in a while that's exciting so, like thanks that's corona <laughs> no you did not just thank corona <laughs> Taffer? No, I do not think. Go away, Corona. You're not welcome here. Uh, that was gallows humor. Yes, it was. Oh, I want to make it very clear, very clear, <laughs> that I would not sacrifice thousands of lives for my personal comfort. Okay, good. Um, but anyway, no, this is this is a real good book. Real good book, and we really like it. Like, let's be honest. Uh, Justina Ireland, friend of the podcast, I have decided, uh, because you have interviewed her, and I like her. Um, I, we're going to interview her again. Be warned, Justina, if you're listening. I'm going to start knocking on your door again. Yeah, we got plans. Um, um, yeah, yeah, no, no she's, she's a great, warm person. Definitely, if you haven't heard the interview, listen to it, because she is very fun. All right, folks. Uh, should we wrap this up? Yeah, I think we can wrap this up. Yeah. Um, I will say, like, of the books, we've been reading books I really like during sequel month. Um, this is the one I was most excited about, and I enjoyed it so much. And I'm really excited to reread this series. Same. 
I think it's one I'm going to like come back to over and over. I really, really, really like it. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. I think this is one that like I'm going to be recommending to a lot of young people um, in my surroundings. Like it's definitely, it's fun, it's palatable, it's exciting. There's action, there's, there's good character development, strong plot lines. Like I, uh, I see very little. I think the only thing that disappointed me is that uh, there's not going to be a third book. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think there won't be. I think, I think she's been real clear about that, but it is disappointing. I know. Because I want to live in this world. Maybe just a spinoff. Maybe not a sequel, maybe a spinoff. Ooh, that could be fun. Yes, I see some opportunities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing, I forgot to say this, but there is a bold choice in this book, <laughs> which is the death of a beloved character early in the book. Yes. Which is, like, so brave for a sequel. Yes. Uh, and I found really impressive. I thought it was the right choice. It was a good choice. I thought it was a good choice. Yeah. Propelled the story forward. It was, it was, it was a useful death. It wasn't one of those, like, why? Um, you get it. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I thought that was really good. Very smartly done. And it takes... It takes care of that thing that can happen sometimes in dangerous fantasy worlds where somehow the protagonist's closest circle never gets touched. Um, That's true. Yeah, it was just, it was good. It's good. Yep. Um, yeah, so this concludes our sequel month. We hope you liked it. Oh my gosh, we're moving into April, my birthday month. Strong Aries vibes here. Should we tell them what April's going to be, Caddy? Uh, I think that we should. Go ahead. I th- I reveal. Drum roll, please. Get ready, folks, for Anne of Green April. <laughs> I'm going to have to put in some sound effects to make that more impressive. Yes, I was, I was um, doing tiny drum rolling right next to my microphone, and I don't think that's going to help. Uh, we are only reading Anne of Green Gables books in April. That's it. Um, cause sometimes you just, you just need that. Sure. And, uh, I have never read any of the sequels to Anne of Green Gables. Um, Bailey, I think has read everything. Yes. Over and over and over again. And Caddy, what's your position with Anne of Green Gables? So, uh, I'm an Anne of Green Gables virgin. <gasps> I feel so special mm, and honored. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i a little nervous. I'm also excited. Um, this should be a positive experience for all. Uh, <laughs> I hope. I just be hope sure that, to read safely. Yeah, read safely, uh, wear condoms and eyeglasses if you need them. Um, and I just hope that I do not uh, crap all over Bailey's favorites. <laughs> yeah, same, honestly. I'm, I um, have not read Anne of Green Gables in a very long time. Uh, I do know that it's queer baby, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of shipping that can be done. Well, everyone knows I like a good shipping, um, so that'll be nice. And uh, perhaps I'll start watching Anne with an E at the same time, since, you know, it's not like there's anything better to do right now. So They do not tell the same story, but I loved Anne with an E. Okay, so. good. Good. That's good to know. I'm glad. Except for... 
part where they kill off the only black woman in it for like no discernible reason. All right. Well, I'm already going to start. I'm going to start crapping on these books right now. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, there's no black people in the books. (laughs) Of course there are none. Oh, dear audience, prepare to listen to me moan and groan for a month, but I'll probably love it because come on, I am a good Canadian girl after all. All right. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yapodcast. Please follow us on Twitter at yapodcast. And individually, I'm at Tefferbear. And I'm at Caddy double underscore D. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons, Catherine Resch, Erica Stutchbury, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Ten Hove, Chantal Thomas, and Matt Dever. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some mugs, t-shirts, bags, tapestries, cushions, whatever you want with our logo on them from the fine folks over at Pub. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or finding us on uh, Spotify and by sharing this episode with a friend. To be honest, share this with your friends who love zombie stories. I think this is a fun one. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced and edited by Tefra Jemian. That's you, as a part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. I'm Tom Zalatni, host and producer of Up for Discussion, the emotionally honest comedy podcast. What does that mean? It means we're not afraid to get vulnerable, explore the human side of comedy, and be super duper open about the ways that we're struggling to become better people along the way. Still have no idea what I'm talking about? Fair enough. Come give us a listen. The Up for Discussion podcast, available on the Upford Network and wherever else you get your podcasts. Very easy to explain. Hold hold on. Let me let me just blow dry my hair here. Uh, I'm here to tell you about Lasers on the Ride podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcast. It's a mix of comedy, uh, interviews, and the existential drama that only real life can bring. Now I'm gonna go take a shower. Goodbye.